Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Talking about what it would look like for Rick and Kathy to come and strengthen and encourage us. And uh, so Rick is, uh, wow, got two weeks left. No, not even. Just, I know. Next Sunday's. Rick and Kathy's last Sunday. It has flown past, right? Um, So uh, Rick has been very ill uh, this week. Um, I I claim it was the Mexican food he had. He claims it wasn't. No, no, it was. It was. So, um, but I do want to pray for him um, because he's definitely been under the weather and uh, just want to pray that the Spirit equip and empower him. Father, I want to thank you that um, even this morning as we prayed about authority, the seat of authority is in your word. I want to thank you that uh, as we come this morning, we posture ourselves under the authority of your word, and uh, there is great confidence in that. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would give your servant Rick the power, energy, and empowerment that he needs to be able to clarify Jesus in the text. I want to pray, Father, that, uh, that you would uh, enable us to have hearts that are open and receptive. May your name be glorified. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Well, thank you. I'm glad it was up a little louder. I might need it today. Good morning. Yeah, next Sunday will be our last Sunday with you guys. We're, we're going to miss you. It's going to be hard to leave, honestly. We've really become attached to many of you and to the church. And so we've been very, very blessed to be a part of you. Maybe you could just turn it down a bit, Costa, for me, please. Thank you. I feel like I'm yelling at you guys. I do yell once in a while. So if I start yelling, you'll know it. Say this with me. The human heart is an idle factory. Not I-D-L-E, I-D-O-L. Yeah, you don't have to say that, Jacqueline. But you're so obedient. Okay, let's say it again now with that clarification. The human heart is an idol factory. There were about three different uh, titles I had for this morning's teaching. I'm teaching on the rich, young ruler out of Luke 18. You guys have read this hundreds of times. You've heard hundreds of teachings, I'm sure, sermons on it. It's familiar. Any of you could have stood up this morning and told the story of the rich young ruler, probably. I had three different titles I was going to call it. It could be called The Heart of the Matter. Um, It could be called The Way In is the Way On. You might wonder, what is he talking about? But I settled on this one, that the human heart is an idle factory. We've been talking about the kingdom of God and the last three weeks talking about the coming of the kingdom and then Nick last week talking about the fact that we come into the kingdom as children. We trust Jesus as a child has that kind of unwavering and often even unconscious trust 
in someone who was greater than them. So the subject matter of this text also is the kingdom of God. We come into the kingdom through the cross. And I want to say to you this morning that that will cost you and it will cost me everything. To come into this kingdom is a very costly thing. It was costly for the Lord Jesus, obviously. It cost him his life. But it is also costly for us. And that's the message that I'm going to be zeroing in on this morning. It may not be an easy message. I'm not intending it to be more difficult or more hard than it needs to be. I'm simply trying to be faithful to the text and faithful to what I believe the Holy Spirit is put in my heart. It also has to do with eternal life because the question begins in chapter 18, verse 18, with a question. Let's read this text, verses 18 through 30 of Luke 18. And I'm reading out of the ESV translation. And a ruler asked the Lord Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept for my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. But Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brother or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. From this text, a word today. We're familiar with it. Sometimes, Lord, our familiarity becomes a hindrance. But your word is living and active, Lord. Able to divide between the thought and even the intent of our own hearts. Do that today, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, Father. Amen. There are probably about four or five deep teachings in this text that you could zero in on. The incarnation is in this. Why do you call me good? That question, the issue of the law, the purpose of the law is in this text. The cost of discipleship is obviously in this text. The power of the cross is in this text. The theme of the passage is entrance into the kingdom. The question had to do with eternal life. So actually the subject matter of this text is eternal life. It's found in verse 18. It's found in the last verse in verse 30, the words eternal life. Jesus answers a question about eternal life, however, with a comment responding to him regarding the kingdom. 
entering the kingdom. So we can surmise from that that entering the kingdom is in fact eternal life. Then when you come into the kingdom, you come into life. And in fact, we can equate that also with salvation because in verse 26, they asked him, well, who can be saved? And his answer was again regarding this entrance into the kingdom and the receiving of eternal life. So eternal life and entrance into the kingdom and salvation are all the same thing. So this is good news for us because we've been talking about the kingdom about how we've entered. The kingdom has come now, though it's not yet here in its fullness. The kingdom of God is among us, that we have entered it as children. And in doing so, we have come into life, eternal life. That's such good news, isn't it? I mean, how often do we think about that, that we have already entered into eternal life when we have believed in Christ? We sang a song, actually this morning on the way in, we were listening to a, 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 um, some music, and it was on in the church when we came in too, the same, the same CD or whatever it is now, it's not CDs anymore, digital music, I don't know what you call it, DDs, DMs, whatever it is. <laughs> it was that Shane and Shane hymns, and there was a song that starts with, the grace of God has rescued me, plucked me from the raging sea, and set me upon a solid rock. The Lord is my salvation. This is really what this text is about today, is that the grace of God reached out to this young guy. The grace of God reached out to him, and all it was saying was, take my hand. And he was, unfortunately, as far as we know, maybe we're wrong, unable to do that. This account is recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark's, and Luke's. Mark tells us that this young ruler literally ran up to Jesus. And then he knelt in front of him, bowed down. Can you imagine? And he lifted his face and he said, what must I do to be saved? Incredible hunger, incredible humility exhibited by this man, young man, young wealthy ruling somehow man. So he had at least a partial recognition of who Jesus was. And he had also come with a partial, at least, understanding of a degree of his own need. One commentator that I read, this is really interesting, believed that possibly it was Mark himself. It's totally surmising. Because only Mark's gospel says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said, how would Mark have known that? Unless it was possibly Mark himself. And then only Mark's gospel records that at the account, the account of that, at, at the, the, the uh, arrest of Jesus, there was a young man who was present. This is interesting. Find this and read it. He was present, and he was only covered with a linen cloth. And when Jesus was arrested, he ran away naked, almost as though he had given up everything already. Possibly, was it Mark? I don't know. We don't know. But it's interesting speculation. As I was reading this text, I kind of laughed to myself. I thought, Jesus needs to go to evangelism training. He did everything wrong. 
This is a slam dunk. He made it a lot harder than it had to be. This guy ran up to him. He even knelt in front of him. And then he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine having someone do that to you? He didn't even have to try to turn the conversation to spiritual things like we might on an airplane sitting next to someone. I don't like to talk on airplanes. If they ask me, I'll talk to them. But if they said, what must I do to be saved, I would talk to them. (laughs) Anyone knows that when someone asks you, what must I do to inherit eternal life, the the right answer is you don't have to do anything. It's a free gift. Then all you do is then you lead them in prayer. You bring them to an assurance of salvation. And then you rejoice. Because someone has just believed in Christ. And the last thing you do is talk to them about their money. Am I right? I mean, we might wait six months before we even bring up money with somebody that's a new convert. Jesus, that's exactly what he goes for with this man, at least, right away. I mean, we dream about this kind of an interaction that someone would do that with us, and especially someone who is possibly well-known. I pray for David Gilmore every day that he'll get saved because I want to hear him play guitar through eternity. If one of the Lakers or one of the Rams walked into this room today and knelt down in front of us and said, what must I do to be saved? We would be so stoked. And it would be all over social media tonight. Because, see, we're impressed with people. We look at the outward first. That's common for us. But Jesus isn't like us, thank God. And he didn't do that. And he zeroed in on the issue for this man that needed to be zeroed in on, and it had to do with the affection and the love of his heart. He knew what he loved most. Listen, and he knew what would be his greatest hindrance. And I want to say this to you, not only to following him that day, but listen, to following him for the rest of his life. I don't want to be mean, but I want to say this, that churches are filled with people like this rich young ruler today. People who add church to their lives because they sense something is needed in their life that is lacking, and they think if they add church to it, it will meet that need. Or their kids is need. How many times have I met people who have come and visited, and they said, yeah, we felt like our kids needed church. We want to add this to our lives. But by the way, we won't be there next Sunday because of soccer. See, we're adding it to our life. That's what this rich young ruler was doing. He was adding this to his life, he thought. What must I do? And as Jesus turns him to the commandments, it's interesting because in his mind he thought, I've already done all of that. Matthew's account says this, though. When he turns him to the commandments, the rich young ruler asks, which ones? That's an interesting question. And the reason it's interesting and the reason it's not an uncommon question for them is because in the mind of the, of the people of that day, there were some commandments that were more difficult than others to obey. There were outward 
focused commandments, and then there were inward focused commandments. There were certain commandments that if you did them outwardly, you had the appearance of being religious and being holy or spiritual, but the others that were not seen were not as important. And in fact, really, they were probably more difficult. And they knew that because they had to do with attitudes of the heart. This is the same game the Pharisees were playing. They ignored, Jesus said, the weightier things of the law. He says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, Jesus speaking says, teachers. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important, the, the more weighty matters of the law. And here they are, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, you should have done them all. And he asks Jesus which ones, and Jesus answers, interestingly, he says, don't kill anyone, don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. And the young man says to him, that's easy, I've done all that. You see, the, the, these easier, in a sense, in our minds they sound easier, they're really not, because the Sermon on the Mount gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't, and it says the issue is the heart. These easier commandments appear to be only dealing with outward things, but the difficult ones are dealing with our hearts. Don't covet. And love your neighbor as yourself. And it isn't until the Sermon on the Mount that all the commandments are found to be more weighty than any man or woman could ever live up to. Lust is as adultery, Jesus said. Anger is as murder, Jesus said. And in his sermon, he's telling us that we may look okay outwardly to everyone else, but inside our hearts are filth, apart from holiness, the holiness of God. Impacting them, yes. The reality is that we all, and Paul says this in Romans, are all depraved and bankrupt and hopelessly lost before God apart from his mercy and grace. The grace of God has rescued me, pulled me from the raging sea. So Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says in the midst of his sermon, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom. There's the issue. See, this is the issue with this rich young ruler. Your righteousness has to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees because you will not enter the kingdom. You will not know life until it does. And for you, there's a matter that needs to be dealt with before you can enter the kingdom, because it's holding your heart, because it grips you, it owns your heart. You think you own it, it owns you. And you must be willing to let go of it in order to enter this kingdom. And as I said a moment ago, not just to enter it, but to live in it. Ongoing. There are two opposing kingdoms that exist side by side, we know, with two different rulers. Satan is the ruler of this world. He reigns on earth. He reigns in this cosmos. 
He reigns over the world's systems, that we are living in this crazy world. It is Satan who rules over it right now. Even though the kingdom is here, Satan is yet the prince of the power of the air, ruling over the systems of the world. Why is it so hard? Why is it so crazy? Why is it so grievous? Because he still rules until the return of Christ. But God now is reigning in the hearts of men and women like us who believe. We are born into this fallen world, but now there's a different king on the throne of the heart of the people of God. And now that heart is where the kingdom of God rules and reigns. That's an amazing reality that the kingdom has come, but it's reigning and ruling not in the, on the earth, but in hearts on the earth. And then through those hearts, it affects the earth. So Jesus, seeing this young man's heart, knew that what he really wanted was to keep his idols and to bring them into the kingdom with him. These idols are pesky little rascals. Um, in the movie Gladiator, he has his idol, and he pulls it out, and he puts it on that table, and he lights candles around it, and he worships at that table. And it's a visible idol that he's worshiping in the scene. We are much more sophisticated in our time than that. We don't have those little visible idols on tables in our homes. Especially as believers, we wouldn't. Those idols are hidden now in hearts. Every single man or woman in this city and in this nation has something that rules and reigns in its, his heart. Something that he loves, something that, that he worships. He's, there's a God somewhere, either one or more. The question before us today is, what is that for us? I would hope we would all say it's the Lord Jesus Christ alone. But if we're honest, we know that's not true. There are yet things that hold our hearts. And I think even for those who came to faith, it might be easier for those of us who came to faith at a later time in life, for me, I was 24, than for those who are born into the church. It's harder for people born into the church to recognize those idols. I know well what mine have been. But in our sophistication, the Holy Spirit still is able to break through all of it. And today, He'll say to us, what is it that owns your heart? By t telling this young man that he had to first sell everything that he had, give it to the poor, and then come follow, Jesus got to the very heart of the matter with this young man. He's telling him what he had said somewhere else, that if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, poke it out so that you can enter the kingdom. Whatever it is that keeps you from coming in, deal with it ruthlessly. 
You see, we will never do this when we are speaking to someone about believing in Christ. We would never dare say something this strong to them because we want, wouldn't want to push them away. But you see, the problem is, is that there are so many false conversions now because of that. Churches are filled with people who believe they're born again, who have raised their hands somewhere, but who have never turned and truly been converted and truly given their hearts fully to Christ. Is he able yet in the midst of that? Yes, he is. But maybe even today in this room, there are those of you who are here simply because you think it's the right thing to do and you are truly not regenerate yet because there's something else that owns your heart. And the Holy Spirit is saying today, deal with that which holds your heart and is keeping you out of the kingdom of God. There's a powerful quote by one of my heroes, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I want to read to you. Yeah, there he is. He looks like a modern man today, doesn't he? All he needs is a cigar and a glass of scotch. Yeah, his hair is cool. He's got a great haircut. I don't know about that bow tie. Here's what he said. A very great portion of modern revival, revivalism has been more of a curse than a blessing because it has led thousands to a kind of peace before they have known their misery, restoring the prodigal to the father's house and never making him say, Father, I have sinned. How can he be healed who, he, who, he, who is not sick? Excuse me. How can he be healed who is not sick? Or he be satisfied with the bread of life who is not hungry. The old-fashioned sense of sin is despised. Everything in this age is shallow. Man, if it was shallow in his age. The consequence is that men leap into religion and then leap out again. Unhumbled. This is amazing. They come to the church. Unhumbled, they remain in it. And unhumbled, they go from it. Perhaps I'm speaking to some good people today. You've assumed that your good deeds will get you into heaven, but you must see that your own goodness can never save you. You must further see the awful sins of your heart as God sees them. Perhaps there is one sin that you refuse to let go. The Lord is saying, let it go. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone who can save. Even those that this rich young ruler went away sorrowful and unsaved, Jesus knew what he was doing as an evangelist. I pray your response will not be like that of this young man. The question is, how much can you bring with you into the kingdom of God if you want to come in today? Because as it turns out, whatever is lighting up our soul in our age, religion, drugs, sex, money, power, fame, career, children, ministry, beauty, Whatever it is, that could be your idol if it's holding your heart. If you want to be saved, can you bring your idols from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom? And you're being too blunt, Rick. Evangelism in the 21st century says, yes, you can. Come on in. It's okay. Just come as you are. 
No worries. Just believe that Jesus died, accept him, quote unquote, and you will be saved. He doesn't require you to give up anything. Is that really the gospel? If that is, if that's right, then Jesus is wrong in this story. I think Jesus needs a refresher course on evangelism. When I was 24 years old, I was fully addicted to marijuana and cocaine. I was using cocaine but smoking pot every day, all day long, yet functioning as a businessman with my own business. We had been, we had been married about six months, and um, we were living in Santa Barbara, and I was just living life, surfing, loving life. Felt like I was just, everything was perfect. And one night we went to a party, and it was a birthday party, and I met this young girl I'd never met before. She was a friend of my wife's cousin. And she stood up to pray for the meal before we ate, and she prayed, and I'd never heard anybody pray like this. I was raised Catholic. I'd never heard anybody pray like this. And then she proceeded to sit next to me the rest of the night. Wherever I was, she was right next to me. And she was talking to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness. She kept talking to me about Jesus. We get in the car to leave the restaurant and to go back to her mother's home for dessert. She gets into my car with Kath and I. And she's talking to me about the Lord. We come to Kath's house. We sit down. She sits next to me in the house. Finally, I looked at her and I said, I want to ask you one thing. Can I get high and still go to heaven? That's all I want to know. Now, at that moment, she could have said what Jesus said, no, give it up, but she didn't. She said, that's between you and God. And guess what? She was right. Because that was the issue for me. That was the thing that God, I was, as the rich young ruler, although I wasn't rich, as the, and I wasn't ruling anything. <laughs> I, was really, I wasn't even ruling my own life. <laughs> As that young man, 24 years old at that time in my life, that's the thing the Holy Spirit put on when he called me. He's, this is what you have to give up. I'm calling you. You've got to lay this down. I believed. I was saved. I was born again. I was delivered. And about two weeks later, I went to my buddy's house to, to decorate his Christmas tree, and I smoked a joint. And I was so grieved. The Holy Spirit was so grieved in me. And I cried out in my heart. I said, Lord, please forgive me and help me to come down. I will never do this again. And that was 1974, and to this day I haven't. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I still love the smell of it. <laughs> when it goes wafting by my yard, I'm being honest. I love the smell of it. But I've had dreams. I had two or three dreams where I dreamt that I got high. And I had to stand in front of the church and Repent and resign. Because I knew for me, as, like this rich young ruler's issue, that was for me at least only one. I had more than one. An idol that owned me. It was between God and I. She was right. And if you're here today, not yet believing, I say this lovingly to you. What is the idol that you cling to that's keeping you? 
If you're finding your walk with God unfulfilled today, joyless, I ask you today, what is the idol that your heart is clinging to that's holding you from entering into full life in Christ? Because I guarantee you that's what the Holy Spirit is after. The grace of God has rescued me and pulled me from the raging sea. And that little did he know that was God's grace extended to him that day. And then the, I, the, 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 the Lord says to him, and I'm going to zero in here and come for a landing in a moment. He says in verse 22, he says, one thing you're still lacking, even after the man says, I've done all that. One thing you still lack. He doesn't say one thing you must do. There's not one more thing you must do. It wasn't that he had to do something now. He, what he lacked was Jesus. There's one thing you're lacking, it's me. You have everything this world offers, he's saying to him, but you don't have me. Get rid of this world stuff and come and follow me and have me. And it says that his countenance fell. He was very sad because he was very wealthy. One of the commentators, David Guzik, says this. He said, he had climbed the ladder of success only to find that he was leaning against the wrong building. He thought he had it all together. He thought he had his life together. He just needed to do one more thing or maybe two to nail down this eternal life thing. But Jesus wanted to show him that in his heart, he was an idolater. He worshipped his money more than he would be able to love God. You see, this is the narrow gate that Jesus speaks of that we must enter through. Do you remember that saying? Enter through the narrow gate. This is what he was talking about. It's the entrance into the kingdom. It's the entrance into the way. It's a narrow entrance because Christianity has always been an issue of the heart. Christianity is a heart religion. Which is why it's so easily feigned so easily faked, so easily pretended, unlike other world religions that demand visible behavioral change. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign in the human heart. And if that heart is not yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that heart is not truly repentant from a love of the things of the world, then it will not produce a life that is free, truly. Because the fruit of eternal life is freedom and joy in the Holy Spirit. Once you've entered that narrow gate, brothers and sisters, I say this lovingly to all of us, the way on is still narrow. It's not just a narrow entrance, it's a narrow road. It's a narrow path. This is really important for us in 21st century Christianity because too often we will say that we'll leave our idols at the entrance of this gate and then we will go through the gate only to pick them up again on the other side almost like walking through a metal detector. 